The question tonight is, if you exist, God, why don't you make yourself clear? That's the question. I hope you weren't asking if the person next to you existed because they obviously do. All right, so so this past week I've been house-sitting for my dad, right? And um, I don't know if you know this, but I am a grown man. Um, I, can, I can sit down in the dark and watch TV by myself. I can take walks in the dark, like outside, all in the dark. But as soon, like, I don't know what it is, but as soon as, like, you get into bed and you switch the light off, like, something changes. I don't know what it is, but something changes, and you're just thinking, like, anything, anything could happen now. Like, any little noise you hear, like, could be anything. You just don't know. It just freaks you out. Like, I kept, um, I was so worried that, like, every time I'd hear a noise that it was, like, a burglar or someone trying to break in and kill me in the night or something, that I slept with, um, I slept with this massive knife underneath my bed. Like, it was legit, like, that big. Like, I was, I'd, I'm not kidding. I was that worried that somebody would break in. But I'd, I don't know what I'd do with a knife. Like, I don't know if I'd actually stab someone. So, <laughs> wouldn't have done me that good. Um, and, like, actually. I'm not, I'm not embarrassed to say this, because I reckon everyone does this, but I, like, for a moment, I thought there may have been a ghost in the house. I, like, I heard, um, like, um, and then the, but, um, so I was, like, freaking out thinking that was a ghost, but it just turns out it was my cat, cat licking itself. It, like, jumped up, started licking itself, not a ghost, but, um, and I started thinking, like, if there was, like, somebody trying to break into my house, well, not my, my dad's house, because I was house sitting for, if somebody tried to break into his house while I was sleeping, what, a knife is not going to do me any good, because if I'm sleeping, how the heck am I going to know that this guy is in my house? Like, I can't, if this guy or a ghost broke into my house, if ghosts can break into houses, if they broke into my house while I was sleeping, there's no way I would even realize if they were there. So it was just pointless, really. What about God? Would we even realize he's there? You know, we look around our society and we see so many different religions. We see, we see people worshiping Allah. We see people worshiping Vishnu and all those other Hindu gods. We see people going to... Buddhist temples to worship and meditate, and we see people even claiming that there isn't a God who's trying to make himself clear to us. So if there really is a God, has he even been doing a good job at making himself clear? Plus, if God hasn't done a good job at making himself clear, how could he hold me responsible for how I act? Why should I be held responsible for not responding to him the right way if I didn't know he was there. What if he did make himself clear? If we've gone and lived our whole lives as if he hasn't made himself clear, that could be big trouble for us if we're there. So this question we'll, we'll be looking at tonight is a hugely important question. Now, I'm going to pray right now because um, I believe there is a God who is out there and wants to make himself clear to you guys right now. So I'm going to pray to him 
And if you genuinely want God to make himself clear to you tonight, then pray with me. God, I want to ask you that you'll help us to see that you're there tonight. Help us to see that, or help us to see who you are. Please make yourself clear through the Bible and through what I'm saying tonight. I pray that you'll help us all to focus and listen to this stuff, Lord, because this is a massive question. I pray you'll help us to think about this stuff together. Amen. So why doesn't he make himself clear? Well, the Bible says he's already made himself crystal clear. And the Bible also says that we need to live our lives in response to that God, knowing that he's made himself clear to us. So we're going to look at two ways that God has made himself clear to us. And the first one is God has made himself clear to us through what he's made. So if you've got a Bible, go to Psalm 19. It should come up on the screens for you if you don't have one. So Psalm 19. I'm going to read from verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. Now, what these sentences are saying are that the skies or the heavens, they say stuff about God. They tell us about the glory of God, which just means how great God is. And they tell us how good God is at making the universe. God hasn't left himself without a witness in this universe. He's made the world in such a way that his fingerprints are all over it. And they tell us about him. Now, when I'm looking at, like, a massive kind of mountain and, like, pristine, beautiful lakes and forests and stuff, like, that might kind of speak to me and tell me, so, like, oh, yeah, that must be God who created that. That might speak to me, but for somebody in prison in the middle of a desert dying of dehydration, that's that's not really going to speak to them in their situation. But when you look up to the night sky, far, far away from the city, you see an insane starlit sky. Billions of stars in our galaxy alone all across the sky. It's amazing. And you may not hear it, but they are speaking to you. They're telling you that the one who made them is even more amazing than them. And this is a, it's a common experience. Like we're, we're filled with awe when we look up and we see a vast, amazing night sky. Because when we look up, we're not just neutral observers. We're we're built with something inside of us that hears that voice speaking to us. You'd be hard-pressed to find anyone who's not impressed by that. Now, just a a quick aside. This doesn't mean you have to believe that God literally created the 
universe in six literal days. Like, I reckon a big bang is a pretty impressive way for God to create a universe. So regardless of how God made the universe, his fingerprints are all over it. Now what this tells us is that at the very least, there's a God trying to make himself clear to you. Now what does this tell us about God? Pretty much, we know he's God, he's powerful, and he deserves to be worshipped. Only a powerful divine being could create all of this. There's not much else that God makes clear to us through what he's made. But do not be fooled that there is nothing out there and that God is not trying to make himself clear to you. Because he has. He has made himself clear to us. Now, you might be think, uh, sitting there thinking, like, that all sounds good and stuff. Like, yep, God's trying to make himself clear through what he's made. Yep, sweet. But, like, I need something more than that. If, if God, God wants to make himself clear to me, he should come down to earth and, you know, do a bunch of crazy stuff and say some hectic things. You know, just prove, prove he's God on earth to me. Why can't, why can't he do that? Now, I reckon that's a pretty big ask of God to make of him. Like, he, he doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't need to prove himself to us. But you know what the crazy thing is? That's exactly what he's done. The, the second thing we're going to see tonight is that God has made himself clear to us through Jesus. So have a look at Colossians chapter 1. So have a look on the screen. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Now I want you guys to notice two things here. In verse 16, it says Jesus created everything. That's something God does. And in verse 15, it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, what that just means is when you look at Jesus, you're looking at God. You're looking at what you're seeing, what God is like. The interesting thing about Jesus is that not only does he make God clear to us and make him known to us, but he also is God. And God chose to make himself clear in a very real, tangible way by becoming a human. Jesus entered into our world, into a point in history, and lived among us and proved to humanity that he was God. Now together, we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at the evidence 
that Jesus actually came back 2,000 years ago in history and proved he was God. We're going to look at the evidence. And we're also going to look at what he made clear about God to us. But first, let me just say something about the possible ways that God could have made himself clear to us. One way he could have shown himself to us is through visions or dreams or voices in our minds. So, like, you could have God, like, appear in front of you in a vision or have God, like, speak to you in your mind, hey, Isaac, I'm real. You could have that, and at first glance, it's kind of appealing. Like, who wouldn't like to have a crazy vision of God, like, bursting in front of you or having God speak directly into your mind? Like, that would be sick. But there are problems with relying on those things as the foundations for our belief in God. And the, the problems stem from the fact that visions, voices, dreams, they're private and subjective. So that means that you could, you could interpret the vision wrongly, but not realize that you've interpreted it wrongly because there's no outside measure to compare this vision with. It's all in your mind. And how could you even know that that was God speaking to you? Maybe it's the onset of schizophrenia. You don't know. <laughs> and sometimes it's more confusing than helpful. What if you get two people, same vision, but then they interpret it differently because they're, it's both just in their mind? That doesn't make things clearer. That just makes things more confusing. You can't know which one is actually interpreting it right or if any of them are interpreting it right. And so the biggest downfall for this method of knowing about God or knowing that he's there is that it's unverifiable. You can't verify it or know if those dreams or visions are actually true. So, like, if you, I don't know, if you came running up to me and you're like, Zach, um, God appeared to me and he told me to uh, sell everything I have and buy a minivan and drive around the world following Psy and get Gangnam Style tattooed on my butt. Like, if you came up and told me that, I, I wouldn't know if that's true or not. I couldn't. How am I going to know that God told you that? I can't. It all happened in your mind. Maybe, maybe God did tell you to get a Gangnam Style tattoo. I, you can't prove or disprove whether you got that vision or not. That's, that's one way God could have made himself clear to us. And the Bible says God has used that to speak to certain people throughout history. But the other way that God could have made himself clear to us is by revealing himself in a public, physical, tangible way. And that's exactly what the Bible says God did 2,000 years ago. God came to earth at about 6 BC. He became a human. It was named Jesus. And in Jesus, we see who God is perfectly because he is God. If you want to know about God, if you want to know what he likes, what he doesn't like, if you want to know how loving he is, if you want to know how good he is, look at Jesus. Because Jesus is God as a human. And because 
the Bible is claiming that God came into human history 2,000 years ago. It's verifiable. So Christianity can be disproven. But that also means it can be proven. So let me just hit you up with some facts. In the book of Acts alone, there are 84 things mentioned that can be verified by archaeology or other historical methods. Um, the proper designation of the magistrates of a specific colony in Acts, they used an unusual name for that title, but it was just used unconsciously by the author. Someone making up these stories wouldn't have used such an unusual name, but just would have used like a common name that he made up. Someone making up these stories wouldn't have done that. In Acts 17, there was a synagogue in a certain town, and historians didn't actually know that that was true until very recently. John chapter 5, Jesus visits a pool, and it's described as having five arches around it. And like for years, historians have been like, like they haven't known or found any evidence of that um, pool anywhere. And so they've been like, well, that's so stupid. Bubble obviously is getting that wrong. So how can you trust it? It's not even historically trustworthy. But do you know what happened a few years ago? A few years ago, some archaeologists in Jerusalem dug up that exact pool. This happens time after time after time. And it continues to confirm that the biographies of Jesus in the Bible are historically true. They're just innocent recordings of what actually happened 2,000 years ago. But the big deal breaker for this is the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, which might sound surprising that we would even claim that there's evidence for that kind of thing. Like a man rising from the dead, that's a hectic claim to make. But there is evidence for it. Now very quickly, I'm going to give you four facts that convince me that Jesus rose from the dead. And if Jesus rose from the dead, then what he said about himself and about life is true. He's God. He has power over death. Death isn't the end. And heaven and hell exist. If his resurrection actually happened 2,000 years ago, then God really did make himself clear in Jesus. All right, fact number one. Jesus really lived and really died by crucifixion. Now, this is actually a widely, um, a widely accepted belief by historians. There's a historian from the first century called Tacitus. And he, this guy is where we get most of our knowledge from, of the early Roman Empire from. And he says this about Jesus. It's going to come up on the screens. Christians derive their name from a man called Christ, who, during the reign of Ti Emperor Tiberius, had been executed by sentence of the procurator Pontius Pilate. The deadly superstition thus checked for the moment broke out afresh not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but also in the city of Rome, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world may have become popular. Those people, places, and events mentioned right there, they're all found in the Bible. And you've got, not only that, you've got other references to Jesus living and dying outside of the Bible. Not only that, but you've got four independently written biographies in the New Testament mentioning that. Fact number two, 
the tomb that Jesus was buried in was empty after three days. Jesus was buried in a well-known tomb owned by one of the leaders of Jerusalem. And the tomb was just outside the city, like 15 minutes walk away from it. Now, the disciples were going around Jerusalem um, and they were claiming that Jesus had risen from the dead and is, there's no body in the tomb anymore. And if that weren't true, then people could have easily gone to that tomb, 15-minute walk away, gone to the tomb and checked out to see if there was anybody in there. But nobody was found. And people ended up believing the disciples. That's how Christianity started. It started in Jerusalem by those people telling everyone, Jesus is risen from the dead. And no one could have stolen it. It was guarded 24-7 by Roman guards who were trained to kill people. No one was going to get past them. And not only that, but none of the enemies of Christianity even denied that the tomb was empty. They all just accepted it was true. The only way that the tomb could have been empty is if Jesus rose from the dead and emptied it himself. Fact number three. Hundreds of eyewitnesses saw Jesus alive. Listen to this verse from the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, but some have fallen asleep. This claim was made when most of those 500 people were still alive. So if people doubted it, they could have easily verified those claims. It's like if I said 500 people saw a UFO over at Erina. Like, if you wanted to find out if that was true, you could easily track people down and find out if there really was 500 people who saw that. It's verifiable. And not only that, but many of the witnesses who claimed to have seen Jesus rose from the dead, died horrible deaths for claiming it. Now think about this for a moment. Would you die for something you knew was a lie? Fact number four. Christianity first exploded in Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is where Jesus died, where he was buried and where he first appeared to people. Now, it's hard to explain how Christianity could have started and attracted so many people if it was all fake. It would be so easy to disprove the fact that Jesus rose from the dead in the very town that it happened. Like, if I said to you, like, a whole horde of zombies just ran through Aaron Affair, and, like, people saw it. If I claim that, no one in Erina is going to believe it unless it actually happened. Because they live in Erina. They know their suburb. This, now, well, that was just a taste of the evidence. And, there is, like, I, so when I was writing this talk, 
I first planned to have um, seven facts that I was going to say, but I had to cut out, cut them out, otherwise I'd be talking all night. So if you want to hear more of the evidence, which there's loads more, come talk to me or talk to one of the leaders here. Now, all of this evidence points to the fact that God really did come to earth and make himself clear through Jesus. Now, the question we started with with was, if you exist, God, why don't you make yourself clear? Because he has. He has made himself clear. He's made it clear that we're all rebels against our creator, God. Now, rebels, um, it just means that we don't treat God like he should be treated, like the king. Now, he's a good king and so has to put those rebels to death, those rebels who rejected him. But our creator loves those rebels and so died on the cross so that he could be with them in heaven forever. That's the God who's made himself clear to us. Now, you might have came in here thinking that God hasn't made himself clear to us. You might have thought that it's all right to live as if he hasn't. But guys, he has made himself clear. And so it's up to you now to decide how you're going to respond to Jesus. You can't live your life and not deal with Jesus. And God says that the way we respond to Jesus will determine our eternity. Now, this is how you respond rightly to Jesus. You just come to Jesus as he is. You come to Jesus as your king, and you trust that he can save you. That's all you need to do. That's the right response to the God who's made himself clear. Trust Jesus as your king and as your saviour.